Hello and welcome back to the Good Work Podcast. I'm Felicity Holstead, your host and the founder of Good Work. This week, my guest is Emma Freevogel. Emma is the founder of the Incredible Radical Recruit, an innovative recruitment company that works exclusively with people from marginalized communities, taking the rhetoric of diversity, equity, and inclusion and transforming it into action. Em, welcome to the Good Work Podcast. Thanks for having me, mate. Appreciate it. Em, can you start by telling us what a radical is? Yeah, really good question. It's taken me a good three years to define what a radical is, but I think we've we've hit the sweet spot now. A radical three years ago when we were founded was a person who had experience of the criminal justice system Uh, homelessness or the care system and they tended to be the same people in different parts of their life journeys but because of the murder of George Floyd and the world's sort of awakening to racial inequality and because the impact that Brexit has had on the skills and labour market and also the pandemic and its sort of impact on those who are closest to the the breadline and tend to have sort of protected characteristics. I'm talking about people with disabilities, single moms, people who are black or or from the BAME community. Our definition of what a radical constitutes has broadened, I guess. And so now a radical is a person with a protected characteristic under the law. We use that term very loosely, or someone who has a really diverse life experience that means that they are typically underrepresented in the labour market, find it hard to get into the labour market, sustain their employment, or progress in their chosen careers. So those three groups we started out to support, but also people who have experienced domestic violence, for example, those who have returned from the forces, people who have experienced modern-day slavery, these types of individuals. Yeah. And what does Radical do? Again, Radical has evolved over the last three years. So initially we set out to support people who are underrepresented in the labour market to find good jobs, sustain their employment and progress in their chosen careers. And we intended to replicate a sort of mainstream recruitment agency with respect to representing people who were sort of work ready, but Mm -hmm. who needed support to get acquire the skills, the confidence, the courage, the tools they needed to apply for a a job um, in a mainstream recruitment process. Over the years, we've done loads of learning. And one of the things that we've become acutely aware of is that there is no shortage of radical talent. So people who want to engage in our pre-employment program of support, people who can get an interview on merit and win the job because they're the best candidate at the end of the, the, the recruitment process. What, what was missing was organisations who are what we call radical ready. So now the business has developed a completely new, very radical but corporate offering to organisations yeah. who want to ensure that they've got the infrastructure, the culture and the leadership capability in place to not only attract radical people, but also engage them, recruit them fairly, support them to start well and flourish in their businesses. So we do lots and lots of different things, everything from uh, facilitating engagement events on behalf of our partners in order to leverage our brand in favour of theirs. We do things like recruitment copywriting so that we're really bringing to the fore 
the EVP of our partner, but looked at through a radical lens because radical people want to need different things from employment. It's not just about money or, you know, fancy offices. We do lots of work to capacity build our partners. So we offer things like anti-bias facilitation, trauma-informed leadership workshops. We have recently launched a, a series called Radical Talks that provides people who want to have the conversation about social justice, about diversity, about whatever it is that's impacting them is either an individual or a manager of a radical person or a leader of an organisation. And we, we sort of have really interactive, engaging, you know, psychologically safe conversations about the stuff that matters. We do corporate away days and um, corporate volunteering that helps shift the cultural dial. So lots of different things, all bespoke, nothing off the shelf. Amazing. And what led you to, to starting Radical Recruit? What, what did you do before and what was the journey that, that made you think this is what I need to, to devote my time and energy to doing? Yeah, good question. I'm Lots of things sort of factored into my decision to give, well, to pilot Radical. I guess I, I'd worked in what I call the human services sector with the underdogs of society for a good 15 odd years mm-hmm. before I found Radical. So I'd been responsible for managing lots of different services that enabled people who um, don't fit the popular mould to um, participate in sort of all life areas from accommodation, housing, to community access, to mm-hmm. health provision, these t- sorts of things. And also I was responsible for managing and developing what I now know to be really watered down versions of uh, jobs brokerage, ready for work, return to work programs. Mm-hmm. Before I I found Radical, I, I landed a job rather accidentally with an organisation called Working Chance. They support mm-hmm. women who are coming out of the the criminal justice system as well as young female care leavers to find jobs and in theory reduce or or refrain from offending, you know, reintegrate back into society and re-establish themselves as, as, you know, in the roles that they they had prior to prison if we were working with prison leavers. And through my experience there, I saw the power of paid work transform, you know, over 400 lives. But what I was reminded of and became acutely aware of was that even with our best intentions, we were still brokering opportunities for women who had a huge array of talents and and experiences that didn't necessarily align with their interests, those talents and experiences, and therefore weren't offering them opportunities that really I don't know, encouraged them, expected them to aspire to to bigger, better things. They were sort of the jobs that other British people didn't want to work. You know, think fast food, front of house, Uh, not to, you know, clean roles, you know, very low skilled as the government terms them, entry level roles. So I I was speaking at a a conference, a Reward Gateway Engagement Excellence Summit. If you can get to it, you should. It's just Mm -hmm such a good conference the theme of the that year was um hr rebels which was really quite um apt i guess yeah and uh i was we were talking out we had a panel discussion and the panel was themed what's possible when the third sector and the the corporate world unite 
And on the panel, I was joined by Ollie, who was then the head of um, people at Honest Burgers. I'm not sure where he's at now. And the first woman I'd ever supported into work in my role at Working Chance, Chanel. And we were talking or telling Chanel's story from our different perspectives. So when I'd met Chanel, she'd explained to me that she was one of, I can never remember whether it was 13 or 16 siblings, but a lot of siblings, wow. a big family. Yeah. Born in, into sort of generational poverty and incredibly tumultuous circumstances in the sense that her parents came from feuding gangs. Her mother was an alcoholic and drug user. Her father, a prolific offender and a black family as well so you can imagine all of the sort of intersectional disadvantage she had to to navigate over and she was severely abused and neglected as a child and she and many of her siblings were taken into care the care of the state where she became homeless on several occasions Mm -hmm. um you know and ended up having to do awful things that you just couldn't imagine doing to survive like prostituting herself out to earn money to eat like these types of things anyway Sometime after I'd met Chanel, this conference was happening and she was talking about the fact that she'd met Ollie and Honest Burgers at this event that she she attended that I ran in, in the prison that she was at, her last sort of prison sentence. And um, she was talking about the fact that one introduction to one employer who could see beyond her labels it completely changed the trajectory of her life. And she was saying things like, I feel safe. I have a home. I haven't reoffended. I've gone from what was essentially the dish pig sort of kitchen assistant role mm-hmm. into head chef in training over a period of 18 months. And just all these things that like people like me who have huge privilege take for granted, if I'm honest. And safety yeah. being the the operative thing, but just feeling like she had a community she belonged to. And that was like my aha moment. I was like, if this works for someone like Chanel, who is just so incredibly and uniquely vulnerable, or she was then, but had so many natural talents and skills, why why couldn't we do it for men coming out of the criminal justice system? Why couldn't we do it for people who are homeless, for people with lots of different sort of barriers to navigate through? So that that's how we got started. Is that, I can't remember what the question was. <laughs> no, I've, it, yeah, absolutely answered my question. But something I really want to pick up on that you mentioned earlier, and I think is also what you were touching on there when you were talking about Chanel and her experience is what what do you define as a good job? So something that I spend a lot of time thinking about too, and the young people that we work with is it's really important that we put them into good jobs. But I think as society, we have really broad and different definitions of, of what that means as as radical recruit what is a good job yeah I mean it's a really good question I think um a good job means something different to everyone but fundamentally as an organization um what we attempt to do is place people into jobs that they want to do so that align with the interests that make good use of their skills and their talents um, the second thing we look at is whether or not the job pays well enough to live a good life yeah because money is important a good job you know when we use that term I I I relate it to within an organization where you can be your authentic self you know where you've got a seat at the table and a microphone to talk into where you are heard where you belong where you're included so they're the three things that 
for me are absolutely essential. And having worked for organisations and in jobs where I didn't have those things, I know firsthand how important they are for lots of people. I think, yeah, I mean, lots of people, you know, turn up because they like the, the team they're working, working with, you know, the people they get to sit next to every day. So mm-hmm. feeling like you belong in, and you're included in, in, in it, whatever team you're in is so, so incredibly important. And there's nothing to do with what they're paying you. They're paying, you know, pennies and it wouldn't matter necessarily if that's what you're looking for. And I guess that the fourth thing is really jobs that offer progression. So personal development, professional development. We have noticed that over the last three years, a good number of our radicals have secured bigger and better jobs with our support and having refined the skills that they needed to and the tools that they needed to take themselves to market. So, you know, whether that be the confidence to apply for the promotion or, you know, leave the business they're in for, a, for another bigger, better role, you know, a, a great CB that's ATS optimised, whatever it is. So they're the things that I think the four things that are really key in terms of what good looks like. And what have you found the response to be from the businesses that you've engaged or the businesses that you've tried to engage over the past three years to employing more radical people? Yeah, it's, 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 I think the landscape's really changed for radical people. When I started, just to set this into context, I didn't mm-hmm. have a network over here of people in corporate or really the business community. I'd been working in the third sector. So my my, the people that I knew and my network consisted of third sector organisations. Um, I didn't know a great deal about recruitment mm-hmm. and I, I'm all business, really running a business, certainly certainly not um, how to get started and scale up. So when I first started Radical, I really just had a, a vision for, for a better world for those three groups of people. And in order to prove that the model worked, I spent the first 12 months literally begging for vacancies, any vacancy. And I would work on that vacancy and fill it for free mm-hmm. because there are certain attitudes about radical people that remain right today, although I think they're slowly um, changing. And back then, very much this was true that radical people are sort of viewed through a lens of mistrust often or assumed to be incapable of securing sustaining work, or assumed to not have the skills, the motivation, the know-how that would make them employable. So the key barrier was um, being able to prove that these people aren't actually any of those things normally. Yeah. The right support, they could go on into the labour market and, and flourish. I think because of George Floyd's murder and Again, the pandemic and the impact of Brexit, organisations have sort of had this this awakening to social justice, especially the big corporates, and more and more those that I would term to have applied a cookie-cutter sort of approach to diversity previously are slowly but surely laying parts of their strategy and some of their activities or all of it to rest in favor of authentic intentional activity which has created all of these amazing opportunities for radical people that's not to say there's not loads and loads of work to be done but I think the appetite for lots of different reasons because there's a skills shortage a labor shortage because people care more because organizations that have purpose um, 
you know, easier to recruit into, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. there is definitely a greater appetite for the recruitment of radical people so that the attitudes have changed and the the barriers are, are different now. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you hear so much and as somebody who I definitely spend far too much of my life on LinkedIn, but you hear so much about, you know, a kind of perceived talent crisis or a perceived war on talent. I'm interested as to whether you think that that is in any way the case or, you know, and what you think of kind of language like that. And and does it, does it help your cause or does it actually make it harder for you? I find the whole concept of the market being talent short, total and utter bollocks. Mm-hmm. If you look at, just to give one example, the homeless community, it's three times the size of the British Army. Yeah. There's a, a staffing crisis in, look at like the housing sector, if you look at the housing sector. Homeless people understand the value of having housing because they don't have it. Yeah. They may have previously, they don't anymore. They understand the challenges associated that are experienced by people in social housing. They are empathetic. They are resilient by virtue of surviving their homelessness. They are desperate for opportunities. And yet the housing sector do not consider the homeless community as viable candidates for their role. But that is literally a solution Mm -hmm. to their problems. I'm not saying all homeless people are capable of working or wanting to work, but a good proportion of them are. I'll give you an example. We're we're working with the London Authority. Mm -hmm. We've got 65 men and women who have no recourse to public funds, which means they're not eligible for any support really that's government funded and therefore their only solution to homelessness is to find work they're eu nationals typically non-english speaking Um, most of them have been victims of one-day slavery because british people took advantage of them and then had no cvs no formal interviews you can imagine the profile so gla commissioned radical to work alongside saint mungo's on this particular project and our role was to get these 65 men and women assessed mm-hmm. and put a, a plan of action that would take them from a to b a being where they started on the street yeah to be ready for endorsement and to take to market so we worked with this a group of what ended up being 45 individuals 43 men two women over a period of six months and placed all of them into work. Mm-hmm. Now, these were the most uniquely vulnerable individuals that we've worked with at Radical. Over six months, well, it's two years now, 78% of them are still in work. Yeah, wow. So, you know, this idea that people can't contribute because, of, because they've got a, a, a career gap or because you don't understand trauma or because your perception of homelessness in this example is fueled by, you know, the Daily Hail and other popular media that paints this dangerous picture of what homelessness looks like or domestic violence or expense, whatever it is we're talking about, that is an issue with the employer and not a um, evidence that the, the market is candidate short. So, yeah, you know, I think if you're willing to look under rocks, or in, in this case, is under bridges. That's where homeless people yeah. sleep. And sort of set your bias and your preconceptions aside and, you know, look at 
the way you attract talent differently. So stop, you know, stopping relying on Indeed jobs boards and, you know, your, your more traditional methods of search like LinkedIn, things like this, and really diversify your attraction strategy. Mm-hmm. Focus on engagement, like meaningful engagement, talking to people in the languages that they synchronizing your language with, with theirs and finding what your EBP is and taking that to the people that you're not these are all the things that employers could be doing that they're not um that yeah. would really help to solve that problem if we can call it that of, of a talent short market well exactly and it's it's that age-old thing as well right isn't it of like you know you often hear people who you describe as radical as being called hard to reach and actually the the opposite is true it's that you have made it impossible to engage with your own job processes right completely agree the, the problem I think one of the things that lots of our clients don't have any understanding of until we lecture them about it <laughs> <laughs> radical people have not been considered as viable candidates by these same yeah. businesses that are now looking to recruit them so what happens is these big businesses, and it's an arrogant thing to, to do, if honest, they say, well, we've got these great opportunities, but they're not applying for them. And our response is always, well, why would they apply for them if the last decade, decades, centuries, yeah. depending on how old the business, for that, that amount of time, they wouldn't have been taken seriously. And more than that, even if they did have the courage to apply, you know, is your process accessible? Mm -hmm. You know, one in seven people are neurodivergent. And so many of the organisations we come across don't have accessibility provision in their websites. So someone um, might want to apply for a job, but the online form isn't accessible. You know, a homeless person isn't doesn't have access to Wi-Fi and a laptop typically. They're not yeah. seeing your job adverts. What are you doing to take your advert to, you know, if you're wanting to attract more black people into your company, you need to think about what it is that you, you offer that community. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what are the things that you would, you know, if there were a couple of things that you would change about the way that that businesses hire and recruit to make it more accessible, to make it more inclusive? What would be those first few things that you say to any employer? So many things, where to start. (laughs) I think in order to recruit radical people into your business, you need to look inwards and assess your infrastructure, so your policies and your processes. Yeah to ensure that they are accessible, equitable, and that people who do participate in them will enjoy equality of outcome. So without those three things, you're never going to get diversity. Um, You might get the really low-hanging fruit, but if you want real representation of communities that that you operate in or that buy your your services or use your products or whatever, you have to look at your, your processes and ensure that they are fit for purpose. And to do that, you need to look at it from the through the lens of the person that would be participating in your process. So if you're wanting people with disabilities to apply for and succeed in your recruitment process, then you need to look at, at your recruitment process through a disability lens. And when I say disability, I mean all the disabilities, not that big yeah. broad umbrella that we use. Even if you're looking at people with neurodivergent brains, there are so many conditions. And everyone's experience of neurodivergence is is different. 
it impacts people differently. So, so having a really authentic commitment to ensuring your your process is equitable and therefore people will enjoy equality at the end of it, then that's that would be the first thing. I think that there's a a, a big sort of push by EDI teams, HR teams to drive diversity and that comes from probably the board or the executive mm-hmm. whatever um i don't think that often that is balanced with the needs of the business and certainly doesn't take into account the motivators and the drivers for the hiring community and they're often different groups of people in, in the same organization so you'll have you know your diversity lead or your executive sponsor or your HR team saying to the hiring community, we've got to do recruitment better. We need more representation of women or queer folk or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And what then is that actually the key motivator and the key driver for the recruiter or the hiring manager is filling that vacancy so that the team can carry on doing the work it needs to do. Mm-hmm. So for me. The other key thing from our experience is having everyone contribute to the strategy, the plan, and its execution that needs to take responsibility. It has to be everyone's responsibility. And to understand how the strategy, what, you know, the importance of the strategy from a human perspective, from a business case, you know, and all the lenses in terms of business, like risk, legal, PR, you know, health yeah. and safety. It's it's and and finding like ways to articulate that in the language that matters to the people that need to be in developing the strategy and executing the plan. So it is it does become everyone's responsibility. That's so key. Mm-hmm. And then all you know that that in theory should ensure that any activity is joined up and it's planned in advance. It's thoughtful. It's considered. It's intentional. It's impactful. And then if we much better transparency you know yeah and accountability for people who don't do their part yeah absolutely in the same way organizations have to be accountable or transparent around sort of finance or risk gdpr right gdpr yeah yeah i could go on for days i'm gonna shut up now no, abs- I think it's so it's so interesting and, and everything you says absolutely rings true. But I guess one of the things that I hear a lot, often I think as an excuse, but I'm interested in your take on it, is, you know, we're a really small business. We're 10 people, 50 people. We don't have the resources and departments that cover all of these things. How does our business engage with an organization like yours or with radical people or people who come from very diverse backgrounds when we don't have the resources to put all this energy into considering you know every type of neurodiversity when people might be applying for our jobs you know what is the approach that very small or resource light organizations can take yeah it's really interesting we've grappled with this too because we've got we work at radical with a whole range of organizations from you know, multinational and global corporates with far too much money to spend. Yeah. <laughs> they spend on the right things as far as I'm concerned, but let's not go there. As well as, you know, one person, two person founder-led startups. As a founder myself, we're in year three. Mm-hmm. And I get, I guess, I mean, I have no choice but to do this because it makes absolutely all the commercial sense. 
but from a values perspective, I have to have radical people in my ranks. And there's not one person that I have employed that isn't radical in some way or multiple ways. So, you know, my three directors, I've got a queer man, I've got a, a woman who's a single parent and experienced domestic violence and a blind colleague. And then our more junior members of the team have experience of homelessness, care from minority ethnic groups, also have disabilities and prison. I don't have any problem finding them. So I think when you're when you're looking at diverse recruitment as an organization who does everything themselves or a founder who wears all the hats, there are two things. You've got your employer brand that's really, really important. Mm-hmm. And then as a founder or leader, you've got your personal brand. And that's even yeah. more important because your personal brand on the, the channels that you would look for for talent like LinkedIn is amplified about 24 times bigger than your business brand. I think I was, I was yeah. listening to a podcast by Amelia Sordell this morning. I think that's what she said. Check her out if you're interested in, in personal branding because that's what she does. But essentially, I think, you know, if you're committed to diversity and who says they're not, a great way to show your commitment is by talking about that. Yeah. And if you talk about that and position it through your your content, through a, you know, talent acquisition lens, you're more likely to attract people who are radical into your business just by virtue of them seeing what you care about, what you believe in, what you're committed to. So I think there's a piece around that. And you spend five minutes every day writing a LinkedIn post Mm-hmm. that talks about your brand values and that doesn't have to be specifically around diversity but something that says something about what you believe in that is going to resonate with diverse or radical people and five minutes a day is not a lot of time yeah even three times a week would make a difference <laughs> stop comparing yourself to big business you're never going to run the world's first center of excellence for dyslexic people so just stop thinking about it what yeah. is it that you can do albeit maybe even the tiniest thing today that will make your brand stronger and your your infrastructure more accessible better well prepared whatever you want to call it for radical talent when it does come mm-hmm think long term so I mean 12 months in the life of a founder goes like that so if you're not thinking about it now you know it's very likely that it will you'll just it'll be pushed to the side as a a nice to have rather than an absolute essential if you're really wanting to do this work it's a hell of a lot easier to do it from the start and build from great foundations so my feeling is think about it and put something in motion just something and build on that because I mean the smallest things turn into much bigger things yeah so they're they're the things that I would say off the top of my head might be useful to someone listening to me if they're still here yeah (laughs) (laughs) you're so right and that storytelling I've I've noticed is something that that Radical does brilliantly and I imagine is is very intentional yeah, I mean, we, I started off with a vision, an incredibly loud voice in reality, mm-hmm. and the awareness that in order for me to take my vision and, you know, recruit people into what we call the village now, I needed yeah. to start yelling about it and talking. And so we tell a lot of human stories that celebrate resilience, grit, determination, success, 
but also highlight the challenges that our business exists to redress. Yeah. And any business, I mean, we talk about radical people a lot, but any business can do something to advance diversity. So it's not necessarily, you don't have to go and pick up a homeless person off the street, get them accommodation, put them in front of a great employer, make sure they get through an interview process, keep them in a job for 12 months in yeah. order for you to be doing your bit. So if you're looking at, you know, if I'm just thinking about like what a, what a founder could do is, you know, when you're picking a supplier, ask them what they're doing about diversity. Yeah. And only pick the ones that are doing credible, authentic work because they have the power in the relationship. If you're outsourcing your catering service, make sure it's to an ethical organisation that sources their products locally and employs local people and then talk about that, you know, and say we're a small organisation, diversity is key, sustainability is key, whatever it is. We're not able to recruit 100 homeless people, no worries, but what we are able to do as an organisation is check that those who are recruiting are doing so in an ethical, sustainable manner with diversity at the top of their, you know, more than on their agenda with diversity in everything they do. That's what I would do. So find ways to be advancing diversity that don't cost loads of money. I couldn't agree more. Okay, so I just have a couple more questions before I free you to get on with your day. But the first one is facing a pretty horrendous cost of living crisis we're seeing hiring freezes we're seeing redundancies starting to emerge as well what are your fears for radical people over the next kind of six to 12 months and what can we do to you know people listening to this podcast do to collectively support both the work that you're doing and and people who fit almost vulnerable perhaps to to some of those challenges yeah, it's a good question. I mean, we're not necessarily, so the people are most vulnerable to, uh, in the face of the cost of living crisis and recessions and things like this, are people who typically will go into entry-level sort of unskilled labour-centric roles. So I'm talking about in cleaning or hygiene services or um, labouring roles on construction sites and these sorts of things. And these sectors are on their knees in terms of finding good people that want to work. They're really on their knees. Mm -hmm. So my feeling is that, ironically, if people want to work who perhaps aren't being considered as viable candidates currently because of gaps on their CVs, whatever it is, they will soon have more opportunity as a result of the skills and the labour shortage, certainly the labour shortage. My feeling is that the challenge will be preparing them to return to work. And that's where organisations like us come in and yours, Mm -hmm. who do the grunt work. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, well, how can I help? How can my organisation help? manpower or human power rather I should say there are loads of great organizations like ours where we rely on volunteers to roll up their sleeve give their time and then their skills so that would be one thing that people can do in terms of organizations um, or business leaders listening the work that organizations like we do costs a huge amount of money yeah (laughs) time and resource and we are often compared to because of our charitable statuses yeah 
we are often thought to be less valuable in terms of what we deliver and expected to deliver often for free. And when we're compared to sort of our mainstream counterparts, expected to deliver uh, similar services, but not really in the sense that we we offer a hell of a lot more. I mean, if you look at what Radical does, we do, we tick the recruitment box. So we might be plugging the skills or a labour shortage, but also we're helping you win awards because you're ticking your CSR boxes and we're increasing the diversity of your organisation, which is bringing, you know, helping your bottom line and making you more agile in times of, of crisis and change. You know, you yeah. get the picture. So paying organisations like ours in the same way you would a recruitment supplier yeah. <laughs> is not acceptable, really, if I'm honest. So if yeah. you're a business owner, you know, realise you're comparing apples with pears and pay us our worth. Mm-hmm. Stop making us yeah. feel bloody guilty for saying so. That would be good. Okay, so my final question is, do you have any recommendations? So I asked this of everybody for a book or a podcast or some other kind of speaking or thinking you've come across that really speaks to or has impacted you and the work that you do. So some kind of further reading for listeners. It's hmm, a really good question. I follow lots of sort of influences in the leadership space. Yeah. And and this, it doesn't matter who's listening, everyone has an opportunity to be a leader and a change maker. So I look at people like um, Abby Addington on, on LinkedIn, who does a lot of work in the anti-racism space. Yeah. And her leadership is indispensable and she's incredibly inspiring. You look at, you know, the CEO of BlackRock, Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's quite remarkable I can't think of what his name is but a lot of his writing is really really um inspiring for me in particular I read um Pedagogy of the Oppressed many years ago Paul Paulo Freire I can't say his name <laughs> I'll look it up and put it in the show notes yeah do um you'll see some of the quotes on our website that book is an absolute essential must read and you'll need to read it two or three times probably because yeah. the language is is so foreign but every time you do, you derive more meaning and, and it's, it's just even more impactful. So I, so that would be my, my main book, definitely. Amazing. Read that one. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for talking to me. It was always a pleasure, as, as always. Or it, it was a pleasure, as always. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share it with friends and colleagues, leave us a review and check your subscribe so you don't miss us next time. To keep up with all things Good Work, follow us at Good Work UK on LinkedIn. The Good Work podcast is brought to you by Good Work, a social impact business on a mission to make early careers fairer, more inclusive and more meaningful. We're working to remove barriers for young people from less privileged backgrounds and support businesses to reimagine their approach to entry-level talent and skills. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time.